Hey, good morning, guys. I thought I'd sit down, record a quick solo here. Just, um, it's been an amazing late October, early November. Just want to recap some of my hunts and um, really get into mule deer hunting. Gosh, do I love hunting mule deer. Just doesn't get any better for me. I mean, um, I love the early season, remote Alpine basins, uh, e- extreme high country, and, and the bucks have a lax summertime attitude. They're running in bachelor crews. I love that. I also love the November rut, uh, those big hard-horned, uh, uh, big black antler, white tip bucks, you know, that just come out of hiding. You know, they start searching for does and, and, uh, start running with the does and, and, and they're susceptible. And, uh, it's just such an exciting time to hunt mule deer. I mean, any species during the rut is an amazing experience and mule deer are no different. So I've just had an absolute riot. Uh, we'll get right into it. I just want to thank our sponsors real quick. So fortunate here at Eastman's Elevated to just have the best sponsors in the outdoor industry to really use the gear, that, that I believe in, that I love, that I'd be using anyway. So uh, first off, I just want to thank uh, Everly Stock Packs. They just build uh, great packs. They pack the weight really well. They're durable, and, and they're meant to function uh, you know, out when you're backcountry hunting. So I've got a couple different models that I like. Uh, I've been using their kite pack for day hunting. That thing is amazing. Uh, it's just lightweight. It, it sits tight to your back. And so you can hunt with this pack on and not even realize you have it. Like when you're, you're hunting elk, and I know this is a muley podcast. I also use it for muleys, but I want to use this as an example. So hunting elk, Elk are always on the move, you know, you, you, it's like this moving stock as you're traveling with the herd. Well, you don't get a chance to take off your pack and make your stock because when you do, then you got to backtrack and grab your pack as these elk keep moving. You have to move with them and then take your chances to dive in and, and make a play on them. Um, but, but the kite pack is perfect for that because you've got a lightweight pack, sits tight to your back. You can stock with it on, you never take it off and you hunt those bulls with your pack on with everything you need. And the kite pack's great as it's lightweight, hunts really well, but it's also big and sturdy enough to pack out a load of elk meat when you kill a bull. And so that's what I've been doing with this thing. I hunt with it a lot. Uh, I use a little big top for like weekend trips. And um, small expeditions, and then um, when I do my my longer backpacking trips, um, I, I'm using their destroyer pack. Um, really packs the weight good, and um, able to get uh, a, a bunch of cubic inches in there. Everything I need for ten days or more in the mountains. So they're just building great packs. Uh, if you're in the market for a new one, make sure to check them out. Everly Stock. I also want to thank Taito Knives. Uh, Taito just builds amazing knives. So they're ultra lightweight, replaceable razor blade knives. Um, you know, it, it, you use like a, about a two inch razor blade. These things have changed the game for me. Uh, absolutely amazing. Um, you know, I can just butcher a whole deer with one blade and I can have it done within an hour. I mean, skinned, quartered, boned in the meat bags, hanging up, ready to rock and roll. But a sharp knife just makes all the difference in the world. Uh, you know, this, this, um, this podcast, I'm going to be talking about hunting with my family and, uh, you know, my, my cousin killed a really nice buck and, um, you know, we started working on him and I had that Taito and he had a, a standard knife and I mean, 
I double the or triple the work that he was doing. And all of a sudden he's looking at his knife kind of funny. I said, Hey, you want to try out this Taito? And I had two of them with me. They're so lightweight. I, I have a backup with me. I just hate to kill a deer, not have my knife or pulled it out to cut a bagel or something and leave it somewhere. So I always have a couple of them in there. And so I let him use one and uh, blew his mind, you know, just how much work you can do in really using the sharpness of those razor blades to butcher that deer. But they just make amazing knives. If you're in the market for a replaceable blade knife, they also have a really good fixed blade knife. And then I've been using their longer blades, their longer knife. Uh, They have like a fillet knife, like a five inch blade on it. And um, I've been using that for all my butchering, and uh, it just works so good. I can butcher so I, so quick with that knife because it's so sharp and a longer blade, and then it's just been perfect for slicing meat thin for jerky and things. So uh, just amazing products, thanks to Taito Knives. And with that, let's get right into it. Man, muley hunting, big rotted up, big necks, big bodied mule deer, doesn't get any better. Uh the, the rut in some of my spots has been a touch late, but, um, yeah, I, I started hunting muleys. Let's see, um, uh, the first, um, the first priority was getting my youngest daughter out. So it's her second year hunting. Uh, she's 11 and, uh, going to be turning 12 here in January and, um, really good kid. <laughs> she's, uh, she's just, uh. She's a ball of energy. She loves sports, good grades. And um, this is a chance to get out for like a weekend hunt. We did that hunt last year I shared with you guys where she shot that spike. And and, and that was really fun. Good weather and able to make it happen. She made a good shot on it. And uh, then we were in the swamp in the middle of the night. And so it's so fun to share these adventures with your kids. And so we've been talking about it all year, going on an adventure hunt. And so... You know, I've got some muley spots around. You know, I've been traveling around Montana now for a dozen years. Well, I mean, more like 20 years I've been traveling around. The first couple I couldn't travel too much. But last 20 years I've been traveling around Montana looking for the best spots to hunt deer, to hunt elk, to hunt antelope. And uh, I just love the diversity that Montana offers and um, different populations in different places. And, God, there's just secrets left in Montana to explore and discover. And uh, I just picked a great state to live in. And so, you know, I have this spot that's pretty good mule deer hunting. And so we loaded up the truck. It's late October, getting to be around the 1st of November, which is usually pretty good dates to see some pre-rut action and and see those bucks really transitioning to the rut as they're just traveling more they're running solo and um they're kind of staging for the rut i'm drinking coffee as i'm telling you guys this um it's the morning time gosh i just love coffee makes me feel human (laughs) um but anyways so you know we we find these these i find these spots and so i i load up my daughter katie and so we take off on this adventure hunt and it's, um, you know, we're going to be, uh, uh, truck camping and, you know, you gotta, you gotta kind of cater the experience to give them an enjoyable one. You know, it, it, it wouldn't be fun for her to disappear 30 miles into the back country and, and go freeze her butt off back there. Like got to break her in, get her some excitement and have her hiking around, like hike her little butt off for sure. But, um, 
you know, you just want to cater it so they have fun. You know, I, I push so hard, but like I said, I've been doing it for 20 years and keep evolving my approach to hunting deer. So to start a new hunter out like that, like just got to go a little bit easier. And I have to tame it down for my kids. And this isn't just for hunting. This is for, for all ventures. Uh, you know, when I take them out, I really have to cater the experience because I'm always, I'm always sending it going for these, the, these, you know, I can deal with anything. I can come home late, but you know, a prime example, like I'll take them fishing. I need to take them for a two to three hour float. I need to fish along the way. I need to have them fish, get some action, pull the boat out. You know, maybe we go for four hours, but instead, like I just can't help myself. All of a sudden I'm in for an eight hour float and I'm just I'm floating 20 miles a river and I'm fishing like a madman. And I like pretty soon they're not having fun. Like I just push them too hard or we're going for an overnight camping trip and I've got to hike them to the top of some mountain lake, you know, and pretty soon I'm pushing them, you know, past where they're having fun. So it's one thing that I, that I've learned over the years as being a father, being a husband is, you know, I, when, when they are willing to go with me and I get to share the outdoors and share what I truly love, I've got to cater it to them and, uh, can't be such a freaking nut. But so anyway, so, so we're going to be truck camping on this one, um, which is still hardcore because we're leaving the house and we're going to be a weekend away and truck camping and, and being mobile and then being able to hike out. And we're on a short amount of time. She's got volleyball. Now she's into basketball. I mean, Girl Scouts, church club, uh, uh, friends, uh, you know, you name it. She's always got stuff going on. So, um, such an awesome opportunity when you when you get to go spend this quality time with your kid and share what you love I just um yeah I'm so fortunate so anyway she's gonna come with dad and so we load up and and uh we get cruising and the spots you know it's it's quite a few hours away maybe six seven hours of driving or something like that and um so we cruise down and you know it just gives us a chance to like talk about things when you spend you know, six hours, seven hours down there, six, seven hours back and the whole time hunting, like you get to talk about things at school and sports and friends and, you know, get just a, a little bit bigger glimpse into their lives, but such a good kid to team up with, such a great partner, so mature for her age, but um, still has fun. So we get out there and um, see, we start in the morning, uh, first morning, start looking around and um, there's not a lot of deer in a lot of my spots. They either haven't shown up yet or they're not in there or we did get some cold weather before that. Maybe it pushed some of the migration through, but we're not seeing a ton of deer, but we're finding some does. And and um, we did find one um, really nice four-point buck that was bedded down in a canyon by himself. We made a play for him, um, dropped down, had a perfect approach, good wind in that. And I, I'm not sure if another truck was up on the ridge or something. Um, had to be. You know, we were so secluded. I popped up in this little saddle and, and went to look at this buck. And we're still, I mean, we still got to be 800, 900 yards away from this buck and uh, looking to tuck back in the coulee and make another play around on him. And, um, Buck was standing looking in our direction and I, I'm sure it was looking at the the ridge, you know, where, where people get out or they can drive their trucks or whatever. So I'm sure he saw that truck, but he ended up spooking off. And so we made a hunt out of it, made a big loop, went and looked for him and looked for him in the next canyon where I thought he went. Just couldn't turn him up. 
and um, it, it started to, to rain, rain or snow, it started to snow on us. It was um, brutally cold for a kid. I mean, uh, we just dressed her up right, and then we'd go hit it, and then, you know, stay warm, whether that was, um, you know, we'd, we'd warm up uh, in the truck, and then we slept in the back of the truck. So we just tried to keep warm and then um, really use our glass, get to vantage points, look around, and the deer were a little bit tougher to find. We had some snow come in, and we were down you know, a, a muddy two track that started to mud up. And so we decided better get out of this area, even though it's one of my favorite areas. So we got out of there, and went and checked out some other areas that, that I've been to over the years. And one spot was all muddied up. I, it was, I thought it was a main road and we could get back in there, but it got pretty squirrely. And, you know, we ended up looking around a lot. And then I think that night we ended up seeing a nice four point buck and he was with some does. First buck I'd seen with some does. And um, we kind of made a last light play. He worked over the ridge, and we kind of worked at the top of the ridge and looked for him, couldn't find him there. And I'm not sure where he disappeared. It was just last light play. And so we backed back out, camped, had some dinner and things, and found a spot to camp and just frigid cold. I mean, cold for anybody. Uh, you know, zero degrees, north wind, blowing like crazy. It was brutal. Nobody out hunting, you know, but... We just layered up and just kept after it, and um, and, and then that next morning, we, I was able to find a, a bachelor herd of bucks. There was like five bucks, and and two of them were kind of low with a good wind. Three of them were up a little higher on the hill, like maybe a couple hundred yards apart or something like that. So, um, man, we made a textbook play on these bucks. Super cold out, dressed her up right. We've got the shooting sticks, and you know I prepared her for this hunt. Um, we really practice our shooting positions a lot and dry fire practice, you know, just like it doesn't come second nature to these kids like they, you know, she hasn't had a gun in her hands for 30 years. Like you you just got to teach like the sitting position, kneeling position, uh, prone, standing and see how good she is and what her yardage capabilities are at these ranges. You know, she's my kid. Like I don't build the biggest kids in the world. I mean, if you guys know me, I'm about 570, 155. My wife's fairly small. And so, you know, I, I was always the smallest kid through high school or whatever. And, um, I build small kids too. And Katie is a firecracker. She's so, um, athletic and, um, you know, really uses her speed and quickness as a small person, which is what you have to do. Like, we're just given what we're given genetically, and then you have to make the most of it. But I never wanted my kids to feel like, oh, I'm too short, I can't be good at this. Or, you know, oh, you know, I'm I'm too small. It's like, man, you're small, you're also quicker than everybody, and you have to use the gifts you were given, you know, and use your hustle and your speed. But anyways, she weighs about 60 pounds or so. She's, she's pretty small, but... Um, we uh, made a play on these bucks and made a good stock, and we could get, like, I really want to get her to about 100 yards, but it's really open terrain, and we were able to get to, like, 150, and so we got her on the sticks and got her set up, sitting position, and just said, just, you know, they don't know we're here, you know, just get comfortable and, and see how steady you are, and she said, I'm steady, I think I can hit that thing, and um, so we we waited and um, wait for the right angle and have her on the sticks and she gets a shot at one of those four point bucks and the buck kind of uh, jump kicks. You know how they jump up and kick their back legs, but I didn't see the bullet hit. And so I told her, I said, I didn't see the bullet hit. You know, let's let's go up. We'll check for blood. 
and uh, see if we got them or whatever. And we went up there, found the tracks, and able to follow them in the snow, and there's just no blood. Must have shot just, like, right underneath them or right in front of them or heard that bullet whizzing by, and it's, you know, she's a little bummed out, and it's like, you know, kid, everybody misses. We all miss, you know, and, and that's not an easy shot to make, especially from a sitting position with the wind blowing, snow in your face, super cold. Like, kid, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel bad about it. You did your best. You held steady. Like, that's the way it goes. If, if you haven't missed, you haven't been hunting long enough or you're a liar, you know, it's like everybody misses. You have to learn from that, you know. And So, um, anyway, she's a little bummed out. I said, you know, we may find another one. And it's early. It's really pre-rut. We're having a tough time, you know, really consistently turning up bucks. It's not like they're everywhere. And uh, we cruise back and look at another little piece of land that I've hunted before and kind of look out there and there's a, a lone spike by two. And the whole time she's saying she just wants to kill one better than last year, which is a spike. And I just don't put the same trophy qualifications or that, that same pressure on shooting a big buck for her. You know, she's a new hunter. She has to get experience under her belt. So, like, if we see a deer that she wants to go for, like, let's let's go for it. Let's see if we can close the deal on So it's a, a two-by-one, you know, but it's, it's a deer. I said, Katie, I see a two-by-one, and instantly her eyes light up. You know, she's she knows there's a buck out there, and she instantly wants to go shoot it. There's not a doubt in her mind whether or not she wants to shoot this deer. Like, she is a done deal. And so, we this buck kind of disappears from us and then doesn't come out and so I kind of figure he's bedded like in these willow bottoms and so we sneak out there at the sticks and her rifle and things and layered up cold north wind and we get out there to where this where I think this buck's bedded and I'm just peeking over the ledge and all of a sudden you know I see him there and he's bedded right there and he's bedded pretty close to us maybe 30 yards 40 yards by the time we could get over the hill enough to see him and so I start getting her set up on the sticks, and we're going to have a tough time coming over the hill to shoot this buck. And so we just kind of wait, and uh, the, the the buck gets a little bit nervous and stands up and then starts to walk and stops broadside, and I've got her on the sticks. And then, you know, the buck's broadside, you know, 50, 60 yards, and Katie looks back at me and goes, can I shoot? And I was like, yeah, 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 take your safety off, squeeze on the trigger, you got this, you know, and so she she took the safety off and she, she she nailed that buck. She hit him right through the shoulders. He didn't go far. And um, yeah, she's so so pumped. And we got some great photos. Took care of the deer. We ended up dragging it back. And you know we weren't that far away. And um, awesome two by one. You know my my daughter's second deer. And she just takes so much pride in it. We come home. She helps me butcher. And then you know when we have a steak of that deer you know it's Katie's deer and and uh, she's pretty proud of it and um and what a good eater it's been a while since I I mean we shot that spike last year spike whitetail that thing ate really good this was a two by one muley oh my god was the meat good I just forget I mean I I love all meat and I don't mind eating a, a four point buck I I love the meat and cooked right butchered right like uh, taken taken um care of in the field there's just nothing better than wild game, but a two by one. Oh my gosh, we've had a couple roasts from it. It's just been amazing. So, pretty cool. I, um, I want to get my daughter on the podcast. Maybe I can plug her in here at the end and have her do a quick five minute introduction, and and uh, so you guys can kind of hear the excitement in her voice. But yeah, it's fun to team up with 
daughter and share what I love to do and share adventure and spend that quality time together. So it doesn't get any better highlight of my season for sure. and Bring that thing back. And, um, and I'm, I'm starting to get pretty hungry to chase my Montana mule deer. I, um, like I say, I love chasing Montana mule deer and I've developed these spots over the years. And so, you know, it's the, the next weekend and, um, you know, I've burned about all my vacation time, but I can still sneak out a day on either side of the weekend, just make it sure I'm getting my work done and responsibilities done. Man, I really got to chase my dreams all of September, October. It takes so much time, hunt with friends, hunt for myself. It's just been amazing. So a little bit more responsibility, but I can still get away for like a two, three day or, you know, or I can still get away for, you know, add a day on either side of the weekend and, and go get after it. And, and one of my goals is just to shoot a good late season muley. Man, I love chasing those things around. And also, you know, my early season, I struck out this year. If you guys listen to the live podcast and um, hunting in Colorado and Wyoming, you know, I just struck out. And so pretty hungry to try to kill a mule deer and um, try to, you know, match wits with them again and get a nice mule deer down. And um, so I'm just ready to go for it, get my work done. Um, and I, I plan this backpack trip and it's a November backpack trip. And so I get down there. I mean, it's blowing out of the North. It's cold, you know, um, just bitter cold in November. And it's, it's tough backpacking weather. It's tough to live without heat. And I do have a seek outside teepee and stove this year. It's six pounds. It's three pounds for the tent, three pounds for the stove. But I start planning this backpack trip and all of a sudden, you know, I want to get back to this remote country. And I've looked at this country on the maps, Google Earth, and I've only made it about halfway back there. And I make it about halfway back and that drainage hunts really good. And, you know, I just, um, I, I really want to push my limits and what I'm capable of and carry this into this late season. And, and so, you know, it's cold, but I want to go ultra lightweight. I want to go as lightweight as I can, a little bivy tent, no heat. I can make a fire outside and a sleeping system and everything I need. And then just hunt with this pack on my back to be able to cover this country and get back to this remote country that I've been eyeballing for so long. And so I start cruising and it's a mind bender. Like, um, not really the miles or the hours I'm used to that. And it's, you know, this, this country I'm hunting, you know, I like to hunt big mountains for the rut and I'm getting ready for one of those hunts coming up. But, but this is more like, um, breaks country. It's like, um, a lot of coolies and canyons, like big, huge canyons that you're crossing. And then those canyons, they just split and have all these micro canyons in them. And so when you're doing a lot of miles, you know, you're, you're diving up and down these canyons and then go up the other side and then you got another one and then another one. And then it, they're all these canyons, but they kind of network together. And if you learn how to travel through country, you know, you can kind of work these ridge lines and these bottoms and climb up in the right place that links you to another spot. And so it's a mind bender just by, by how far, like how many drainages, like all of a sudden I'm just setting out with my pack on my back. And the nice thing is, is like, I know I can get a muley out of anywhere. You know, it's not like trying to get an elk out of 20 miles back or something. So I can really push my limits and do double digit miles and get back there and a bunch of elevation. So I push it. It's cold. And I, I just start cruising country and I'm not seeing the deer numbers. I'm not seeing the rut activity that I normally see, but all of a sudden, See, when did I start to pick out some bucks? 
It's a couple that morning when I started that were too small. Cruise over, cruise over. Man, I didn't find bucks nearly the whole day in in these drainages that are normally good, but I just kept cruising and kept looking. You know, you're always like the next ridge or the, the next vantage point or the next spot. So fun. And it was mind-bending just by the drainages as you look back where you came from and I can't even make sense of it. I can't make sense, you know, which ridge the truck is on, which drainage is which. Like, it starts to get so far, it just all blends together. And so, like, the weird thing is, is you've got this route that you've created through all these breaks and canyons and coulees and ridge lines that is just taking you, you know, 15 miles, 20 miles back. And you can't even see where you started or where, like, um, if... If I had no memory and they just spun me around in circles and put a blindfold on me or, you know, gave me a comp, like I know which way to move with the compass or whatever, like I'd find my way back. But, you know, you may hike double the canyons trying to get back if you don't take the right route back or if you don't come across at the the right deal. But just so fun, man. I, I got into some country that was like Jurassic Park. And now I'm hunting. I always try to explain this. I, I do have a tough time like explaining um what I do late season. So it's a general rifle season, general rifle tag. So you've got a bunch of out of staters, bunch of in staters, popular mule deer spots, but it's general rifle season. It's wear orange with your rifle, go out and hunt mule deer, which is tough enough as it is. But I'm just so in love with the archery game. I just, I, I fell in love with it years ago and committed myself to it. Man, I just love getting close to these things. Now, the thing I struggle with is it's rifle season. A rifle, you know, not. I'm not going to say it's more effective, but it, it is more effective at bringing down animals. It's accurate at longer ranges. It, it does, you know, shock and trauma. So you hit those animals, you can bring them down. Now, you can still wound an animal with a rifle. Um, you still have to make a good shot with a rifle. And it still takes a lot of work to be proficient with a rifle, man. And I've been I've been hunting with my family, and I really need to get everybody you know, on a better shooting program. It is not just have your rifle sighted in and go out. Even if you've been rifle hunting for a bunch of years, like it, you got to have a shot execution. And, and I'll get into hunting with family, but... In, in rifle execution, but you have to be good with the rifle, and it's tough during rifle season because you got so many guys going hard, like you're really battling the pressure. And I think the thing I struggle with is just being most effective. And so when I'm out there and I'm looking for a shot with my bow, like I love the thrilling excitement of making a bow stock on these muley bucks with does, and I want to do it for the rest of my life. Like, it's so exciting to me. And it's just, you know, everybody has their thing. Some guys hunt mule deer and don't hunt anything else. Some guys hunt elk and don't hunt anything else. You know, some some guys love to hunt with their bow and don't hunt with anything else. And that's me. And even you put orange on me and uh, you, give, you put a bow in my hands. I'm just happy. I just love getting close, making a play. And I really feel like that sense of accomplishment if I'm successful. I love the challenge of it. It's so difficult. And and not that a rifle hunting isn't difficult, but you know, I I go out with my daughters and my family and 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 go out and chase critters with the rifle. But for me, like I would I would rather chase bucks the whole season with my bow even if I don't get one and just keep that bow hunter's mindset. Like it just it's going to make me better for for next year, for next hunt. 
always thinking about the wind and how to get close and my approach and then just playing the game. But I absolutely love it. It's it's tough for me to describe. Like I say, the thing I struggle with is using the most effective weapon. So I just make sure that if I'm going to get a bow shot on an animal, I'm going to execute perfectly. I'm going to put a perfect arrow in that thing and I'm going to kill him with a quick, clean kill. Like that's the way I look at it. And I have so much confidence in my skills from all my practice all year long. Like I know that my effective range and I know that I can kill a mule deer um, quickly and cleanly. And so, you know, that's what I choose to do. And it may look a little weird out there carrying a bow during rifle season, but I just try to get away from all the pressure. I'm willing to put in more work than everybody else out there. You know, I know at the end of the day when I get a muley buck down and you look at my cumulative effort over the season with all my running miles, all my research, my hunting days, all my shooting, like I got a lot into that deer, you know. So anyways, I'm hunting with a bow during rifle. Like I I just don't like to describe it like this pompous, arrogant, like I, you know, I almost feel like I'm too good for rifle season, so I'm using a bow. That's not it at all. Rifle season is really tough as well. Like it and and it's tough to execute a good shot with a rifle. Just for me. I just I love bow hunting. So it's not that I'm better than anybody. It's not that I you know, that the rifle hunting's easy, so I hunt with a bow. It's it's none of that. It's just like this personal quest and this personal challenge. And it's just, it's doing and spending the time doing what I absolutely love. So I spent too much time on it all, already. I always try to like find the words to try to describe it where, you know, I don't, I don't seem like, um, you know, I, I don't seem like an asshole. It's out with, a, you know, I, I just, uh, like I'm, we're all on our own journey, you know? So, um, but I start getting back to this remote country that nobody hunts. Um, nobody's hiked back into, uh, it's roadless country. I mean, it's just like how I had scouted it or how I had pictured it or how I envisioned it. So I get back and I mean, it's like Jurassic Park. All of a sudden there's sheds laying everywhere, mule deer sheds, elk sheds, like, you don't find very many places nowadays where you get into remote country where even the hunters, you know, horn hunters haven't got them. The hunters haven't got them. Like, nobody's in there. Nobody's touching it. I got these giant, huge canyons with spur canyons all to myself, and there's so much country to look at. I, I'm just, uh, I'm so into it. So I'm traveling country. It's tougher this year. The, the deer populations, they aren't as good. And I'm not sure if it's the populations in whole or if the rut hasn't kicked on or if the migration already came through or, you know, who knows. Um, but definitely not seeing the numbers. It definitely feels light this year. But I'm traveling this remote muley country that nobody's in. And I'm, I'm able to just grab vantage points and look. And, you know, you could hunt this place for a couple weeks and not cover all the folds. There's so many different folds to it. And there isn't, like, one master vantage point that gives all of it to you. Like, you get on a good vantage point. You can see some features and some side hills. You glass it for a while. And then it's time to move on to the next one, you know, and look at a new piece of country. And So I'm just cruising country. You know, really looking in a lot of the dark timber and things for deer in the middle of the days and then really putting my effort morning and night being on a good spot and looking around. So I get in this this remote canyon and glass down in and spot a buck and, and then there's two bucks. And this gets a little weird. I'm not sure the the bucks made a switch on me. So there's two bucks and there's there's um yeah, it's a two point and then a really nice tall four point, like kind of deep forked um well, he is deep forked. He's just, 
he's like a four or five year old deer. Like he's a really good one. He's 160, 165. And I look at him for quite a while. And, and finally I decide, yeah, if I can get narrow in that buck, I'd, I'd be super happy. I'm back here in the back country. I'm back here to hunt really nice buck. And for this area in Montana isn't known for a bunch of giant bucks either. Like general rifle season goes five weeks through the rut. It's the Achilles heel of the mule deer, you know? And so a lot of these genetics, they just don't get as big. And, you know, this subspecies of mule deer that we're hunting out there is like a prairie deer. Like they weigh about 160 pounds, 180 is a big one. And they, they do grow some good racks, but it's you don't see a 180-incher around every corner, you know. So 165 is a pretty good mature mule deer, and so I decide I'm going to make a play on them. And, um, God, they're all of a mile off, mile and a half off or something, and it's in the, the evening. I got plenty of time. So I take my camp down. I end up ditching my camp uh, up the drainage from them a little bit and then roll in lightweight with my bow. And I, I, I get in and... And stalking these mule deer, stalking any animal, it's it's like you kind of get close, you relocate them, you kind of plan your stock, plan your approach, and then try to try to go make this approach. And so they're feeding on this big flat meadow, and there's two bucks there, and I get in close, I see them again, yeah, they're right there. So I drop down in this coulee in this canyon, and I start coming up, and I start coming up, and I'm trying to make it to where the deer just kind of disappeared over a little rise or whatever. And I get close, and all of a sudden, this deer picks up its head, and it's a deer I hadn't seen that's running with those same bucks. Now, this is really weird. For early November, the bucks are still running together in bachelor crews. They haven't started to rut yet, but there's three bucks, and I got my bow and arrow muley hunting, you know, like, it isn't going to stop me because that buck isn't smelling a doe, you know. It's So this buck picks up its head. It's a buck I hadn't seen, and it's a giant. You know, he's he's got, he's so heavy. I didn't... You know, at first I thought it was the same buck and I thought they, you know, I was like, man, did I underjudge that thing? Because, you know, he's 180 inch mule deer or whatever. And he's right there. Man, I mean, I get to play the game. He's like 50 yards and, and I just can't get a shot through the brush and he creeps over the rise. And I play the game for 20, 30 minutes moving quietly. And it's like with any animal, just you just learn what you can get away with and what you can't. Like you, you take what they give you. You know, and, and the element of surprise is so key. Like, you never rush at the end. You never make a move when they can see you. You you keep yourself secluded and hidden. You don't pop up and give yourself away. Like, there's all these these rules I use when stalking animals. And and so this giant buck is out in front of me just feeding. And, and um, you know, I'm able to play the game with him for quite a while. And he makes his way over the ridge. And so I start creeping over the ridge. And he's right there. And I can see his his horns and he's feeding and I'm trying to look for a for a good angle on him and about that time that two point they had worked up the ridge he comes back over the top he catches me standing there because I'm standing in the open so even though I didn't move or anything like I'm standing in the open so the buck I'm trying to shoot like I'm over the curvature of the hill so that buck can't get a look at me but this two point walked up above me where all of a sudden he's got this clear view and I'm standing there you know and he starts getting spooky and um, I end up not getting a shot at that buck and they end up spooking. And so, you know, it is what it is. Muley hunting with a bow. So I cruise back to camp and that night, boy, did it get cold, you know, well below zero, you know, and I've got my 15 bag and I've got, 
I've got this new pad I've been using that I really like. It's really comfortable. I don't know if it's the warmest pad in the world. It's an insulated one. It's They don't give you an R value on it. They say it's supposed to be good to 20 degrees. It's a, um, man, on, on the spot, I can't think of it. What the heck is the name of that? It's like a thicker pad. God dang it. I'll think of it. Um. But it says it's good to like 20 degrees, so it is insulated. I've got my 15-degree bag, and again, I'm trying to travel lightweight, and the forecast didn't look like it was going to quite get that cold. Um, and then I've, I wear, you know, my puffy pants. You know, I've got puffy vests. I've got all my layers um, that I can also sleep in. So I go to bed that night. Man, I wake up. It's so tough that time of year because there's so much darkness. It's dark at like 5 o'clock in the afternoon sleep all night and then you know it's light again i don't know 7 30 or something there's so many hours of darkness you're talking like 15 hours of darkness you know so there's nothing you can do you just kind of hang out try try not to go to bed too early and uh so i i hang out get all organized get my little uh single man my um bivy tent up get my sleeping system all set up and I slept pretty good till about three in the morning and then it's just bitter cold and it was so damp where I was so wet like that humid cold I mean it was all over the inside of the tent even though you know with condensation even though I left doors open and things it's just damp in there man I was cold at three in the morning or whatever so you know a couple options get up and make a fire um I hadn't really prepped a bunch of materials for making a fire or anything um so, um, sorry, I heard some noises. The girls are just getting ready for school. Um, so I hadn't really prepped everything for a fire so I can get up and build a fire. So, but I decided to just like, um, sit in there and boil some water real quick. Cause I can sit inside my sleeping bag, boil some water. And then, um, had that Nalgene with boiled water. You throw that thing in your sleeping bag. Oh my gosh. What a difference maker. Really warm me up. Um, warm my core up like it's a good trick uh I haven't really used it before to tell you the truth um I've heard about it I've thought about it at times but man that Nalgene bottle in your sleeping bag if you're ever getting cold in the middle of the night I'm going to use that trick again just boil water throw it in that Nalgene it's warm for an hour and a half inside your sleeping bag you can put it in different places down on your footbed you know on on your stomach you know, you can you can warm up about every area, and it's just that heat inside your sleeping bag seems to warm up your whole body. It's a great trick. So, anyways, I use that at three in the morning, warm up, and then uh, get cruising again at daybreak. Just cruising country, looking for bucks, and you know they're few and far between. But I am in some of the the the, the most awesome remote late season muley country all by myself back in there. I mean, there's just no saying what can grow back there. I mean, I just found a 180-inch deer back there the night before and got to stalk him with my bow, which pretty much makes my season. It was so exciting and thrilling. Definitely worth the price of admission, but, you know, I'm just on this this other adventure. I'm solo hunting, which, um, you know, I, I haven't had a chance. I love sharing these hunts with family and friends, and it's been great, but... It's also nice for me to get out by myself, you know. I love hunting by myself, and this was a chance to do this solo backpacking trip. I'm in this country that I've just dreamed about for years that I've looked on on maps, and I, I'm out doing it, you know, out cruising these hillsides and these ridgelines. I mean, it just doesn't get any better. Like, the feeling of this remote country and that there could be a giant buck that grows up out there, it, it it's just... um. 
it like I don't even have to keep my mood up. I'm so excited and um, having so much fun just cruising around and glassing and uh, it's just what I live for. I feel like I am truly alive, you know, and so I'm out there and I'm cruising country and looking for bucks and I pick out some does and, you know, pick out some bucks and I, I just really, I didn't turn up any shooters that morning and so I decide to push even further back, the next drainage, the the, the next big butte. I want to get up on top of that and go see what's on top of that and look around. And so I, I start hiking again and cruising with my camp on my back and get way back in there and start climbing up this butte. And I, you know, I'm glassing as I go. And like I say, you know, the game is to try to spot those mule deer before they spot you. And I did really good as I started the trip. That's right. I forgot to tell you guys, as I started the trip, I'd glassed up some does. There was no buck with them. And as I went down and I crossed where those does crossed, I saw their tracks and there was one big track in there, like a big buck track. I'm thinking, huh, there was a buck with them. I didn't see him, but kept cruising. And then I got over on this little bold base and I was working my way up and I ended up jumping that buck and it was a nice four point, a nice shooter, like 160 inch right in there. So I jumped that buck, but the game is, is that you want to spot them with your glass a ways away and make this planned out methodical stock. You have the element of surprise, but it's tough because you got to kind of work your way through this country, you know, work your way through kind of glassing as you go. And so I'm, I'm headed up towards these big buttes and I'm glassing as I'm going and I, I'm not seeing a lot, but a handful of does here, handful of does there. And, um, I get up to the top and glass this basin and don't see anything, but we're middle of the day. Bucks are bedded down glass this basin and then I oh nothing here and so I, I cruise and I'm trying to make the top and all of a sudden I jump up a buck and um he he's a good buck he's like right on the edge so he's like 155 160 nice four point nice forks on him you know it's just like a, a little young like a four-year-old or something like that but a good buck and I jump him and it's I like you know where you kind of they hear you and I, so I didn't jump him where he takes off bounding away. Like he's just walking up the hillside, but he's looking back in my direction. He knows something's a little funny. And um, just like those big bucks do, he let that 155 come out. That was the buck I was looking at. And they were 150 yards or something or 100 yards. And so I didn't have a bow shot, but all of a sudden this monster comes out. And uh, he's following this 155, but it's like the difference between a deer and an elk. I mean, this deer is like eight, nine, ten years old, so heavy, um, hold on one second, so heavy, I'll catch up there, guys, I'm trying to handle my morning, all right, sorry, guys, back, yeah, just, um, morning stuff, taking care of stuff, actually, that was my buddy, Dan, we're, uh, getting ready to, um, go hunt a late season spot together, and so we're trying to make plans there, so trying to touch bases with him, he's got a busy work schedule, but, um, anyways, back to the story, okay, so, um, that, that one buck comes up the hill, uh, 155, 160 on the edge of a shooter. I don't really have a play at him. Um, and he's kind of spooked. I bumped him. And the problem is, is with this country, as you have to move your way through to different vantage points, all of a sudden, like you give yourself a chance of maybe bumping a buck before you see him. And that's exactly what happened here. Those two bucks were bedded in there. I didn't see him when I glassed. And uh, then they must have heard me coming down in there. The 155 spooked, and there's just one buck that gets up that's just a dinosaur. Man, oh man. I mean, I don't think it's the best scoring buck I've ever seen out there, but jeez, what an impressive buck. He's like over 30 wide, so 32 wide or so, and he's so heavy. He's just like, 
he, he's night and day from that 155, 160. He's got twice or three times the mass, one of the most massive bucks I've seen out there. And then good forks and then a bunch of stickers off the back, off his back tines, off both sides, uh, stickers and little points and things. And God, what a beast of a deer. So I watched him. They're kind of spooked, you know, I've run out to 150 yards. And that big buck, man, he just knows. He knows it's general rifle season. He lets that 155, 160 walk out in front every single time and lets him stand out there. And then he'll cruise up quick and get right on his butt and then push him over through the opening or whatever. But just a smart old buck. Um, I would love to have a chance at, at that buck, but... You know, I I bumped them. They went over the ledge, and then I went looking for them. I just started grabbing vantage points. I spent the whole day looking around, um, looking around different canyons, different coolies where I thought they went, and I found quite a few deer. Um, just couldn't find any shooter bucks. Kept finding um, groups of does with no bucks in them. And even though it should be good rut dates, it's just not yet. the The rut's a little bit late for some reason. But I'm back in some of the the coolest country, the most remote backcountry canyon coolie stuff uh it's just awesome and so i just keep hunting away and sleep that night and then next day um get hunting again and start grabbing vantage points and going and um and and i actually got to start cruising back towards my vehicle you know because i'm so far away and i've only got the the three days or three and a half days or whatever so i start cruising back that way but grabbing vantage points the whole way and and looking over that that new country and i i think i ended up at the end of the hunt i think i ended up glassing like 20 bucks exactly so that's that is good i don't care who you are if it's the rut not the rut you can go glass up 20 bucks in a weekend like you're doing pretty good especially on public ground during general rifle season so i'm pretty psyched at how i've done but i'm just cruising back and just you know you're starting to think about where, where i'm gonna go next weekend and and uh you know the, the rut's gonna get kicking a little bit better and so I start cruising and, you know, and I, I still got the whole day to hunt or whatever. And so I cruise back and then all of a sudden, yeah, it was like that, that evening. So I spent the day kind of cruising back and I still, you know, made it back where I'm still hunting new country that I've never hunted, but now I'm in striking distance of getting back the truck the, the next day or whatever. And so, um, I camp there. No, it was that night. And, um, I'm hiking down through and I'm trying to plan where I'm going to put my camp that night to give myself a good vantage point in the morning. And I look up and I spot some bucks bedded. And at first I look and there's, there's one in there that's, you know, he's on the edge again. He's like that 150, 155. <laughs> he's like, and I just, I just decided like, man, I got a lot of time. You know, I really want to shoot a big mature buck. You know, the thing's just a little under what I want to shoot or where I want to be. And, I'm thinking I'm going to pass him, and all of a sudden I, I pan around with my scope, and I I find one, just this super tall buck, and he's got a bunch of extras. He's got like six or seven on the one side, just splits going everywhere, really tall tine, and then the other side, it's like a big big three-point, but he's got um, a big hook cheater out there, and just a bigger, more mature mule deer, where I look at him, not sure what he's going to score, but it's like, man, that's a shooter, I like him. And um, so I just start playing the game. He's with two or three other bucks. I think there's four bucks in the group. So two younger ones and then uh, the 150 and then um, this bigger buck. 
and they're just feeding out on this big sage flat, you know, not a care in the world. They're in remote country where they just don't get bothered, and and um, they've been living out their days, and they're bedding and feeding in this great country, and I just happen to be in this remote spot at the right time to catch them bedded there. And uh, so I start making a play. And again, just taking what the Bucks will give me. And I don't really think there's anything there. I just kind of play the wind right. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe they'll move into me. Maybe they'll be a coolie. I can kind of get close and let them work into me. And, you know, so I just start playing the game. And I go up this one canyon that's kind of directly below them. And, you know, I get within 150, 125. And there's nothing more there. And they're not really working my way. And, And then I see this other coolie over off the right side of them. So I go all the way back down, all the way back down to the main drainage and then back up this other coulee and I start getting close and then all of a sudden, you know, there's just a little bit of a rise there that just gives me enough and pretty soon I can see the bucks and there's one buck a little higher on the hill but the buck I want to shoot is kind of right in front of me. It's like, man, I think I could crawl there and put myself into range. And so I'm crawling to this rise and get there and get to my knees and then I see that buck and he's right there feeding right in my wheelhouse. And uh, he's kind of working right to left and doesn't know I'm there. And so I just get set up. I get a good range on him. He's like 50 yards or somewhere there. And uh, get a good range on him. Settle my pin. Pull, pull, pull. That execution is so important. Like keeping yourself calm in that moment. Like the the best shooters in the world can lose their mind on, on an animal. Like, like buck fever is real. And I talk about it all the time. The execution of an animal. It's almost like making up your mind making this decision that you're going to execute correctly. And I say that like before I draw my bow, execute correctly. Now, execute correctly, I believe in it wholeheartedly. I know that if I execute correctly, it's a dead animal. If I don't execute correctly, and and what I mean by don't executing correctly is I get caught in the moment or I feel the rush, I feel like that deer is going to go or this is my one chance and I get the pin on the animal and I go, now, those those are not my best shots. You know, it's just like... And so over the years, like I've done that enough times and I felt that disappointment of not making that perfect shot that, that I've, I've convinced myself, like I've made a decision in my head that I am going to execute every shot correctly, no matter what the yardage is. And I'll let the cards fall there. Like I'll, you know, um, basically I know if I execute correctly, that I'm giving myself the best chance at killing that critter. And if I don't execute correctly, I may get the shot off quicker, but you know, there's no telling where that arrow's going to go or I'm not as precise. I'm not trying to make my best my best shot. So, I've convinced myself of this after messing up so many times that I I am just not going to punch this shot off. I am going to execute every shot correctly, but I need to think about it. Every hunt is is the same for me. If I lose my focus or concentration on one animal and punch that trigger off, all of a sudden I've made a bad shot and I regret it the whole season. And so I'm constantly reminding myself of this. You know, I'm a great bow shot. I work with my bow nonstop. I can make any shot out there. I, I just have to be right in my head. And it's such a big part of it. And and it's a big part whether you're archery hunting, whether you're rifle hunting, is just having this shot process in your head and making the conscious decision that I am gonna execute correctly. That, you know, and for me, it's putting my my pin on the animal where I want it, letting it float and pull until the shot breaks. And the difference between that shot and punching it off is maybe like two or three seconds. So if that two or three seconds cost me an animal, so be it. I'd rather sit on my shot, execute correctly, and kill that animal if my shot does break than, than have a, a, you know, a, a, a chance or a 50-50. At get, you know, that's just not the, 
it's it's so much easier said than done. Me sitting here in my house, my in you know talking to you guys, it's like, well, yeah, of course you execute every shot correctly. You know, of course that's what you do. But when you're out there and in the moment, and that deer's standing there looking at you, you have this overwhelming. This, this overwhelming sense of now I got to get the shot off like you're working so hard to try to get a shot at a mule deer to try to get a shot at an elk you're just looking for that window you want to get a shot so bad you almost just want to get the shot off you just you just want to send an arrow whether it hits or not and it's like that's not I, I want to think about it as I want to send a good arrow a perfect arrow I want to send my best shot and uh, that's what I was able to do on this mule deer you know uh taking my time thinking about it the whole weekend he offered the shot 50 some yards 52 whatever he was at and uh, settle my pin and float and pull 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 and shot breaks and um just hit him perfect he ran down the hill and spun around laid at some sagebrush and was just dead within seconds another big three point i hadn't seen came popping up the hill big mature buck like four or five year old buck went to scored very good but an older buck came running up the hill looking at him and buck down 2019 season over but um what a great buck he's just really long tined and extras and splits and uh big mature mule deer so I just couldn't be happier and then you know to get the chance to to you know I talk about getting a mule deer out of anywhere but I mean all that training all year I've toughened my legs I've toughened my mind and and this is another this is another test you know yeah I'm not the furthest back I was the whole trip but I'm still double digit miles back and uh you know I got to bone out this deer and skin out the skull I really enjoy the process and then you're not sure how heavy it's going to be but you throw it on your on your back with your camp and uh, like I say, I'm fortunate these deer aren't as big as a Wyoming or a Colorado buck or whatever, which I have packed out in one trip, but I'm able to throw it on. I'm not sure where I'm at, 100 pounds or so, but man, my my legs are just strong. You know, heck, I, I mean, I get home from these and, I, you know, I'm, I'm running to keep myself in shape. I just love the process of preparing for these backcountry hunts and I love, you know, I feel you know, not that I'm a superhero out there, but I feel like one. I feel like I've got my body in such good shape and my mind so, so strong over the years of grinding. And like, I've just, I'm so proficient at this bow hunting that I love to do. I've dedicated myself to it for the last 20 years. I've dedicated myself to bow hunting, live, eat, sleep, and breathe it for 365 days a year. And so when it comes for my, my backcountry test, you know, Recently, I just passed more than I fail for sure. But now, stick this hundred-pound pack on and just go to grind and go to getting this buck out. But I'm so happy. It's the buck I wanted to shoot. I'm miles back in remote country. Like I had the hunt I wanted to have. Solo backpacking trip, and now I'm coming out with with a buck on my back and and um, so I just got to grind. You know, double-digit miles, hundred-plus pound pack to do is nothing. I cruised it. I hardly even stopped. I mean, I I sat down a couple times. The wind was really gnarly that day. And so, like, if I'd find a spot out of the wind, I'd sit down for a minute or whatever. But, I mean, really took maybe a couple breaks. Hardly even would stop walking. Like, my legs just carried me up those hills, down those hills. Didn't matter. Um, absolutely crushed the pack out. Felt so good. But it rained that night on my tent. And I'm in muddy country. 
it rained that night on me for a couple of hours. So the whole way out, not only am I packing this hundred pound load, but the mud is so bad. It's caking to my feet to where each leg, I've got a five pound leg weight on kicking this mud and slopping around and sliding and, um, which even made it more challenging. But man, I just love that stuff. I have found my true passion, my true calling in life, what I love to do above and beyond everything else. I just love remote backcountry with my bow. It just doesn't get any better. And so crushed the pack out, but then it started um, raining and snowing on me. So, you know, it was below zero the day before. Now we're like 35 degrees and raining or whatever. And, um, and the snow's all melting that it snowed, you know, since I'd been in there and all that snow's melting on the road. So I finally got out, but now I'm down this, this two track for miles. I got to make it out. And so I look at the weather forecast and it's like, man, I got three days of weather coming in. It's probably going to freeze four days from now. I hadn't planned on taking this much time off. And so I'm supposed to be back to work, but there too, it's not worth wrecking my truck over. It's not worth you know, my safety, like if I've got to stay in there, I've got to stay in there, but I'm looking at this window and it's supposed to come in that night and then just crush me, you know, for the next couple of days of rain and snow and whatever. So, um, you know, you got a decision to make, do you try to get out or do you stay? And so, you know, I had a little time and it's like, man, I'm just going to try to get out of here. If I got to chain up, I got to chain up, but, uh, I'm just going to give it hell and see if I can't get out of here. And man, it was, it was muddy terrain and slipping and sliding and, um, you know, down in the sage, maybe a time or two, but for the most part, um, you know, able to, to keep the tires straight and, uh, keep grinding and get out of there. You know, um, I know that truck really well too. And, and I know the mud really well. I spend a lot of time in the mud. So, um, anyways, I was able to get out of there, but it was a rodeo. I was happy to see the main road. I'll just say that much and, uh, get to the main road and cruise home. 2019 Montana muley season over so I do have another muley tag another late rut tag here and then you know I I may do uh Arizona in January and mix in a little mule deer hunt but man I just love chasing these things but um yeah so cool and so yeah get home get them all uh processed taken care of um great meat for the year full freezers and then I've got my family coming out um you know I I uh I love hunting with my dad I haven't had a chance to hunt with him this season he's just been so busy and you know a lot of times he likes to go out elk hunting with me and things I just haven't been able to get him to go here yet this year but he loves to hunt deer so he's pretty excited for this trip he's got his brother coming out which is my uncle and then my cousin which I grew up with same age as me and uh he's a god he's just you know I'm so proud of what he's become in life. So, you know, when we were young, we were going through high school and you don't really know what you're going to be or what you're going to become. But my cousin, uh, his name's Chris. My cousin Chris found firefighting and, and, um, man, he just put everything into it. He committed himself. And so he started going through these, these, you know, the classes to be a first responder and started going through the process, getting in with the fire station, volunteering. So you're not making any money for a couple of years. He's just volunteering and then he's trying to get hired on and he spends a ton of time on his physical fitness. Uh, loves CrossFit and he's been rolling uh, jiu-jitsu here lately and um, 
he's just a stand-up human being, and I'm really proud at what he's become in life, you know, what he does at the fire station. Man, he talks about all these calls he goes on and, and uh, you know, just the, the, the danger in him and then people in bad situations and helping him. And, um, you know, and now he's, he's pretty much in charge there. He's worked his way up. He's just built a really good life for himself. He's just a stand-up human being. So really fun to, to get together with him and spend time with him again. So they've got rifle tags, my uncle, my cousin, and my dad. And we're going to head out and go hunt one of these spots that I've developed over the years. And so, yeah, it's just not as many deer, but they're starting to rut really good. And so um, I was able to team up with my dad. We got down there a day early to set up camp. And uh, my dad's just chomping at the bit to go. And uh, the first deer we glass up is a really nice tall four-point. Dad kind of looks at him and he finally decides. He says, I I, want to shoot that buck. And he's a really nice buck, really tall. Um, good forks, just a good mature mule deer running with some does. And so we kind of sitting on the vantage point, let them feed over the rise and then make a play on them and then, um, able to get dad a good rest aim and, and, um, dad hit him and, uh, went over the top and, uh, we actually had to finish him off over the top, but yeah, dad harvested a nice mule deer. Nice to be part of his hunt and, you know, help him quarter it and, and, uh, then pack it out. And another mule deer between me and dad, we make good partners and just really fun to, you know, dad, you know, brought me into this life and, uh, he's always loved the outdoors and back, you know, in his youth, in his, in his thirties and his forties, the same age that I am now, you know, it's like, um, he was going so hard and he was just bringing me everywhere with him, you know, in the Pacific Northwest, beating brush, chasing blacktails, chasing Roosevelt's, um, you know, it's just, it was a fun way to grow up and he shared the outdoors with me and shared that love of it. And man, it just caught fire with me. And now we've both been able to move to Montana and just find these adventures all over. But he loves hunting mule deer, loves hunting mule deer with his rifle. And so um, really cool to be part of his success. My cousin, my uncle showed up tougher hunting, but, you know, just able to start turning up bucks. My, my cousin missed a really good buck. Uh, able to find a really nice, dark horned, heavy backs. God, he was just a specimen, just a 180 inch mule deer. Got him a good rest aim at 200 yards. But, you know, it's not a given with a rifle. And, and everybody, you know, whatever hunt you're going on, God, you got to spend time with your with your weapon. And just like that shot process with my bow, executing a good shot every time, it has to be the same mindset with your rifle. It's so easy to get that scope on hair and 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 jerk that trigger and who knows where that shot's going to go but you really have to make your best shot with a rifle so you have to practice a lot I like dry fire practice shooting positions and then live fire practice so really knowing what that gun will do and then also practicing your longer ranges like you know I'm a close kill guy my dad's shot was 200 and some yards you know on his buck um you know my uncle Jay he was able to kill a buck down in the bottom, spotted a nice four point. He went down and made a play. The buck came up. That one was under 100 yards. And then uh, my cousin Chris shooting at that big 180 inch deer. I think we were 220 or 215 laid down on the ridge, buck feeding in front of us. And he shot. I thought he drilled it. The buck ran downhill right away. And, um, you know, and then I guess the buck went out of that draw. My dad was still on the vantage point. He saw that buck creep out after about four minutes or so. But I went over there. All I could find was hair. And it was snow, too. So sign was showing up really good. I found a tough hair, not one drip of blood. Finally made made sense of the tracks and where they went and where he went. Started tracking the steer, you know, making sure he didn't get one in the brisket. And, man, I tracked that thing for 
couple miles. We tracked that thing, and he just started wandering around. Eventually, he bedded down once. I found one little speck of blood in that in that bed, but that's it. That's the only blood I found the whole time. Blood trailing him, miles in the snow, and uh, I found hair where he hit him, no blood where he hit him. So, um... I, I really believe and truly think that he just gave that deer a haircut. So we spent the whole day trying to track that deer, trying to catch up to him. I mean, he ended up going miles, not bleeding at all. I Like, I think he just got a little bit of an education, a little haircut, and that buck was gone and out of there. And so uh, my cousin was pretty bummed, you know. And, and um, But we finally came to the conclusion that he wasn't mortally hit, that, you know, we didn't have a bullet in the brisket or that deer wasn't going to die. And so he felt okay about things, and so we kind of kept hunting, and eventually I was able to pick out a few does from a vantage point, kind of middle of the day, and just kind of waiting, and it's the rut, and a big heavy buck showed up and was down below rutting another doe down there, and so we were able to make a good play on him and get over, Um, it was like about a 250-yard shot or so, and put one in him, and kind of high shoulder there, and and, uh, had to finish him off, but... um, it's a weird scenario. I've never had a deer get up after it's dead, so it went down the hill or whatever, and we went down to go recover the deer, and I saw it laying there. I go, oh, dude, there's your deer. I slapped him on the shoulder or whatever, and uh, bump fists, and like, dude, great buck, man. It's your best buck, and we start walking up, and I get like a few yards away, and the buck comes to life. His head picks up, and he stands up, and I'm going, oh, no, I don't have a gun. I start backing up into this tree and I'm waiting for my cousin to shoot and my cousin's guns all jammed. Like coming from Washington, they like these these pump action guns. Um and, and they are good guns for the Pacific Northwest. They're a pump action. I think he's got a pump action thirty out six with the scope on it. My uncle has a pump action two seventy. My dad used to have a pump action thirty out six. My grandpa shoots a pump action two seventy. It's just like it's a Washington gun. But um, the things jam with clips in them or my dad used to have a problem where the shells would um, expand and then he couldn't get the shell out. I remember hunting with him in um, Washington. This is a horrible story about my dad because he is really the the greatest human being on the planet and a perfect role model. And I'd like to role myself, you know, like model myself after a lot of what he does. He's a great man, just like my grandfather. And he's just he makes the right decisions and he's a good person and has a good heart. And um, so he's just a great guy. So this isn't this isn't uh, in his best light, but it's a funny story. So when I was young hunting blacktails, you just, you know, we would never drive around. We always beat the brush and it's thicker brush where you got to hunt at 50 yards at a time. I mean, there's so much underbrush and then thick timber and old growth trees. And you just kind of hunt your way through kind of finding ridges and basins and things that are conducive and looking for tracks and signs you know it really makes you a good still hunter because that's pretty much what you're doing and we were both hunting with a rifle and I was 13 and I was still looking to kill my first buck maybe I had a spike before that I don't think I did I think I was looking to kill my first buck and we were hunting extended buck Washington gives you four days to hunt during the rut and it's the most prime time hunting because the blacktails are rutting and looking for does and things you know same reason why the muley ruts going off so we were hunting hard I think we were down to our last day and we had had some close calls we hadn't killed anything and um I think um 
I remember having a cold and getting like a right before that, like I had a sniffly nose or I coughed or something and my dad snapped back at me, you know, it, it was a big deal to him hunting, you know, and it was like, you, you weren't allowed to not take it serious as a kid, you know, but anyways, we're cruising through and I remember it vividly, like the fog and we're just coming through this old growth and coming into this clear cut and I look out and I just see a ghost in the forest. I see like this three point black tail buck that's walking right up at 50 yards or whatever. And I go, dad, there's a buck. There's a buck right there. And he goes, no, don't shoot. It's a doe. And he could see the doe in front and I could see the buck in the back. I said, no, dad, it's a buck right there. And then my dad sees the buck and he just ups and shoots with that 30 hot six. No chance for me or anything. You know, he ups and shoots with that 30 ox six and he misses clean didn't hit the buck or anything so now i've got my rifle my gun it's my turn now right and so like like i i go up to shoot and my dad jumps in front of me and he's trying to eject his shell and his shell's expanded in his pump action gun and he's trying to get the shell out and he's telling me not to shoot and he's stepping in front of me and so i don't have a shot at all because he's in front of me trying to un unclog his jam unjam his gun And this buck, like I said, 50 yards, maybe 75 yards, but right there close. And he's just staring there at us. And my dad doesn't let me shoot. I'm a 13-year-old kid. Like, I can only do what he tells me. And then my my dad gets his gun unjammed and uh, finally gets his shell in, ups and shoots that buck, dumps him right in front of me as a kid. Uh, And I am so upset. Like, I spotted the buck. I saw him coming. I've been hunting all season and, you know, it was like, you, you want to be happy for the team or for my dad getting him. But it was really like my dad stepped in front of me, damn near pushed me over to shoot that buck. You know, it was uh, a little buck fever and he felt horrible. Uh, you know, I was 13. I was I was crying at the time. Like I just my feelings were I was like, man, I was like, that was my chance to shoot a buck. And you wouldn't let me shoot. You jumped in front of me and shot that buck. And my dad felt horrible. I remember he telling me, he said, you, you can tell all the kids at school you shot the buck. And I'm like, man, I, I didn't shoot the buck. You shot him. I got to wait till next season. I was so down. But, um, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was just hunting and a little too much excitement and a little too much drive. My dad was pretty young. I know he felt horrible and he was a great father. He always brought me along. He always tried to create opportunities and things. And I know if he would have thought about it, he would have given me the chance to to shoot that buck. I think he just lost his mind there in those few seconds and um, had to push me over to shoot his buck. But uh, anyways, all's well. It, it ended well. But, but the, anyway, so my cousin with this pump gun... My family's got to get rid of these pumps. I don't know. Maybe they work great. I, I never owned one, but, you know, I'm like, man, you got to get a bolt action or something. But his gun's all jammed, and this buck's standing there. I crawled back into the tree. I thought it was going to charge me. I keep waiting for him to shoot, and shit, he's got clips falling out, shells flying out. He's pumping. He's jamming things. Finally, the buck walks off. I'm like, man, just take your time. Just figure it out. Whatever you got to do. You know, he's got his gloves off, super cold. And he's trying to figure out his gun. He does keep calm in the moment, figures it out. I don't know if it's the clip, if it's the shell. He finally gets one jacked in, and we were able to go track down that that buck. That buck didn't make it far at all. But pretty wild to have a buck get up on you that I really thought was dead. I mean, his head was laying there. His eyes were open. He was dead. Like, I, I he came back to life. I don't know if he heard us talking or heard me walking up or what. But um, anyways, my cousin ended up... Uh, finishing them off but you know it's just a good lesson to learn like no matter what weapon you have man you got to know it inside and out like your whole hunt may come down to it and um also like a rifle shot it's it's you can't just sight in your rifle and go rifle hunting like you got to spend time with that thing i remember 
like the one of the last seasons I rifle hunted, I killed a really good bull, but I, I ran 100 rounds through that rifle that year. I mean, from all different shooting positions, I knew that gun inside and out. So when that bull stepped out and gave me a shot, there's just no doubt in my mind. Executed and killed one of my best six-point bulls with my rifle, and you know that was kind of like the the last year I rifle hunted. It had to be like 2005, 2006, something like that. But God, I remember how good I was with that thing just because of the time I spent with it. It's so important in the off season or preparation from your hunts. You know, your hunts will come down to making a shot, and it's how well you know that weapon, and also having your mind right you could be the best shooter in the world but if you don't execute correctly if you don't have your mind wrapped around that you want to execute correctly you're going to try to shortcut it and and sometimes it works out a lot of times it doesn't you just want to make a perfect shot on those things but anyways really fun hunting with family and um like i say i i'm not um you know, not that those guys don't shoot their rifles and don't spend time with them and not, you know, it isn't, it's easier said than done for sure. Um, so, you know, no fault to them. It's just like, I just want, you know, the guys that I hunt with and the guys that I spend time, I want them to be successful. I want to share in their success. And so, you know, I want them to be good with their rifle and spend time with them. And so, you know, it's my job to kind of give them the tools and tell them, you know, like, like uh, practicing with my daughter, you know, dry fire practice and then live fire practice and having her really ready for that hunt. And yeah, she missed a buck too. We all miss, but you know, when it came down to it, 11 year old, 60 pound girl executed a clean shot. And now she's got two years and two deer down and it may not be giants, but she's going to work her way up. And it's, it's just cool to spend that quality time with her too. So, I mean, um, Mule deer season has been amazing thus far. Middle of November now. I got one coming up with Dan. You know, we got like a long weekend. I'm hoping to stretch it to like four good days of hunting, you know, and then I can maybe go back for another weekend or two. So, yeah, we're going to get after those things, and um, I want to help him be successful and try to get some stocks myself. And this is a fun hunt coming up because it's big mountains and it's deep snow. So, um you know, big giant mountains, migrating mule deer, you got the chance at a really big, heavy, dark horn muley. And, um, you know, it's, it's where I, it's where I thrive those, those mountains. And with, you know, a foot and a half of snow, it is tough to get around, you know, it just takes you forever to get any place, but that's really where my advantage lies, you know, is that I can get around and I can be mobile and I can live out there. Um, you know, in the middle of November, December, the middle of winter out there, you know, I can survive out there and hunt effectively. So, um, really looking forward to that one. That one's coming up and, um, man, it's been a heck of a season thus far. It's just so fun to be able to challenge myself and, and do what I, what I truly love to do. So, um, thanks for listening in guys. Um, man, I kept it a uh, reasonable time this time for a solo, which is always good. So reasonable time on this thing. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors for today's show. I want to thank uh, Everly Stock and uh, also want to thank Taito Knives. Um, both of them build great products and uh, they both just change the way I hunt. So um, thanks to those guys and thanks to you guys for all the support of the podcast. Really appreciate it. Gosh, we've got some great ones that we just put out. Um, Henry Ferguson was two weeks ago, just a mule deer slayer. And then... Um, yeah, I just released one yesterday. Cole Kramer, hunting Kodiak. Uh, guy's a legend. Um, I love talking with him and talking hunting. Uh, I'm just so fortunate the people I've been able to meet in this podcast and uh, people I've been able to become friends with. And um, 
and then having you guys have the support of you guys it's so amazing to like go to a show or go on a hunt you know uh, like uh every once in a while I get recognized here or there you know and it's so humbling to to have guys that know who you are in the hunting industry is just amazing to me so um truly better than I deserve and I just want to continue to work hard I just pitched some new articles for the Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal I'm really excited about those projects so I'm hoping they get picked up been writing a ton man I really want to sit down and write a book god I want I I need to just take the time this winter and just start putting it together like I've got some really good ideas floating around and really pumped at the video that I've been able to put together here this year that elk hunt should be off the hook so I can't wait to see that fell short in Wyoming but um is what it is but that solo hunt was sure nice getting away from all media I need a break from that media as well too so it was nice not to video hunt not to record anything not to do an Instagram story just pretty much just me and the mountains and chasing mule deer uh that was really enjoyable so for for me it's like finding the balance of doing what I truly love to do and also you know trying to make a little extra make a living doing it too so you know I do have to record things and I do have to share things but I also get to keep some of these hunts just to myself and enjoy the experience and me enjoying the experience and keeping happy in life and and keeping passionate about what I love to do that's that's why the podcast does good that's why you guys connect with it because you're the same you guys have something that you love to do um that you're passionate about and um you know that's you're you're able to to uh share that or explore that through you know public lands out there and man it's um, it's just uh, it's awesome that we have found our calling and um so for me yeah it's just trying to enjoy it uh as well as as trying to capture some of it but um thanks a bunch guys for all the support listen in i sure appreciate it uh we got some good podcasts coming up and um get those out here directly and yeah check in with you guys next week